Hi, this is Better Red Than Dead, a literature podcast from a left perspective. I'm Megan. I'm Tristan. I'm Katie. And today we're talking about On the Road, which is Jack Kerouac's 1957 novel about some crumb bum with big thoughts about his buddies, particularly his one most sexy buddy who likes to drink and then drink some more. So Jack Kerouac, <laughs> much like Jack Kerouac, indeed. Uh, and then drink yourself to death. Uh, okay, guys. So why on the road? Well, I can tell you why I wanted to read on the road because it is fully and truly the most divorced book on planet earth. Um, it starts divorced. It ends divorced. It is just all about being a divorced dude. Um, and honestly, there is nothing not to love about this fucking book. Uh, it's just like, it, it, it's just two, just two guys being bros, man. And they're just trying to, trying to discover America and themselves, you know, my groovy pals. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think you have two choices really. Um, if you want to understand this, you can, you can either, you can either read this piece of fine literature to understand dudes like this. Um, or you simply just, uh, you just kind of make friends with your, with your most obnoxious neighbor who loves to wear tie dye and do Brazilian jujitsu in the courtyard, um, and have <laughs> tearful arguments with a significant other. <laughs> And you just wait because inevitably one day that guy is going to open up the window and, and lean out with his, with his newsboy cap and scream extra, extra, I'm getting a divorce. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then when that happens, you get to go on the road, you knock on his door and you say, let's go on the road. I got the cigs and the apple pies and the booze. <laughs> want to just kind of kind of shoot the shit across America and I'll tell you about the novel I'm writing and then you and then you do it um and then you actually write a novel about it if you're Jack Kerouac um and that that was this it melted my brain uh I'm a guy's I'm a I'm a I'm a real I'm a real dude's gal now <laughs> <laughs> that's good because the gals in this are they're, few and far between and they're 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 characters right they're fully developed i mean they're they're almost they're hemingway-esque in as well written as women characters can be i would say well, they're certainly not nags or anything <laughs> no they've never nagged they've never been a drag um they've never their their main personality trait has never been staring into space in a midwestern fashion <laughs> uh, okay so i are you good katie is that all you wanted to say i'm sorry Oh, uh, no, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I think I've said all I need to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all the book deserves. So I've read this book several times and, um, like it is what it is. Uh, <laughs> I actually liked it more this time. And I think that's possibly because I found it sort of like light and insubstantial despite its ambitions. Um, I think Kerouac is, actually much better at rendering other people than he is himself and i genuinely find neil casty charismatic um ginsburg morose and funny and Burroughs scary he doesn't give a single fuck <laughs> no. uh he's truly what you would think a junkie libertarian would be uh mm-hmm. and you know i told tristan years ago that this book is better if you read it like an 18th century epistolary novel as letters from Kerouac to Cassidy, uh, 
because it feels like it gives more structure to it. Um, I don't actually think that makes me a snob. And I'm not, I, it sounds like it, but it's not. And I try, you know, I'm not trying to rehabilitate it, but just to know that it's actually more novelly than it initially looks and therefore like not very experimental. So like, <laughs> sorry, Jack. Yeah. It, uh, and, and I actually have a, no, I, I, I was helped by that in reading this and I actually have a, a quote by uh, Johnson on the 18th century epistolary novel that I think, uh, I don't know. It, it actually was resonating for me as I was, as I was reading this. So that was whoa, like whoa. super me fishing for like Tristan. <laughs> do you want me to get out of here so you two can be cool together? I got. Do you want? Do, do you see my my Johnson volume here? <laughs> About to crack. <laughs> oh, the major works. Yeah. The, yes. Uh, nine nine hundred pages. Yeah. Okay. Hey, just saying. Having read Samuel Johnson in college made me get a better score on the AP English subject test. I <laughs> swear to God. I mean, all the matters. Snarkiest yeah. dictionary in history. I will say. You know. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. Fair. So, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think the novel is very dated, like, dated in the sense that it's of its time, but also in the sense that, like, even when people read it, it must have felt, like, trendy or faddish or something. Like, in the way that David Foster Wallace, like, there are people whose novels are like, you know this isn't going to age well. Even then. <laughs> oh, good. Nice DFW bird. I'm always here for that. I know you are. It's like, also, you know, we're, like, that's shooting fish in a barrel. I know. That's like the coldest take ever. <laughs> uh, no, Megan, it's dated, but it's also dating now. It's getting out there. It's divorced. That's true. <laughs> it used. I mean, it's just headed for divorce number two. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's, you know, it's what its favorite thing is. And there are plenty of books that feel historical but not trendy, and this is not one of them. I think it goes out of its way to, like, ex excise itself from being historical because it wants to make, like, a universalist but also super dumb claim about, like, being a cool guy. Uh, which I think is, like, probably also what a person's neighbor uh, who does Brazilian jiu-jitsu thinks of himself is just like a <laughs> cool guy. Cool guy, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely right. <laughs> um, and also, like, people are probably listening to this and listening to this, and I'm sorry for all of you, but I'm going to be the fake authority, and I think if you want to read a book beat novel, just go ahead and read Burroughs Junkie because it's, like, a much better book, and it's very short, and it's good. This is more of a beat-off novel than a beat novel. <laughs> Yes, oh, that's good. No, absolutely. Yeah, that that is good, and 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 right. Um, and no, let's let's read let's read Jackie at some point. I haven't read that either. Um, and it's it it sounds it sounds like a trip. Um, but yeah, and it's okay. So like, I really haven't read much of the beats at all. Like, you know, a little bit of Ginsburg poetry, and that's probably it. Um, but I have learned a lot of, about them talking to Megan over the years and, and reading her work. Um, so I thought I should probably go ahead and read this extremely famous mid twentieth century novel. Uh. And, you know, taking a page from the beats, it's important to experiment. Um, I may have mentioned like once or twice at most uh, on the show that I like ships. Um, and we, <laughs> we've done a few of those novels. Uh, I think I, the rest of us have been very patient <laughs> about ships. 
Maybe I mean, Moby Dick and Billy Bud and shit. Um, Those are really good books, though, like to their credit. <laughs> because they involve ships. No. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. um, <Be> <laughs> I, I love planes, as I said on our very first episode, but then realized there really aren't uh, many great plane novels. Um, certainly not for the 18th century, weirdly. Um, <laughs> so, so I thought, hey, how about a car novel? And I have to say, I, I was very skeptical, but what the hell? Um, so, and and I did like, so I found this book fascinating and sometimes powerful and frustrating and maybe equal measures or maybe more frustrating. Um, there is like some beautiful writing here, uh, particularly about geography of like just a a quote that I think like really tracks with me on rails. We leaned and looked at the great Brown father of waters rolling down from mid America, like the torrent of broken souls, bearing Montana logs and Dakota muds and Iowa vales and things that had drowned in three forks where the secret began at like okay that's cool i like i dig that <laughs> that's just like a drunk walt whitman it is like, I mean, <laughs> it, it absolutely is but it's still i was like oh that's cool that's you know picture I mean, walt whitman is very good so it's hard to be like oh right i mean walt whitman is so great that like you so like you take the drunk version of that it's still probably gonna be pretty good right yeah like, so. Um, still, let's defend Walt Whitman's honor a little bit here because <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry. Oh, yeah, I think we're all like fans yeah. of Walt Whitman. Sorry to, uh, to, <laughs> to pronounce it in my beloved Philadelphia's Walt Whitman. Um, <laughs> Bridge, not the guy. That's right. Um, and I like, uh, I'm sorry, like, there is something admirable in some ways about the main characters, Dean, Sal, Carlo, and even uh, old, old Bully or William Burroughs, um, and their refusal to be interpolated as subjects of Cold War hegemony or as dutiful producers. But at the same time, it is fucking aggressively masculinist, like Hemingway on steroids, <laughs> like uh, frequently racist. Um, it could have good class politics or class politics, period, and just doesn't. Um, and it sort of encapsulates a lot of my conflicted feelings about the possibilities and limitations of the whole mid 20th century calendar culture to be TBH. So I'm glad I'm glad I am glad I read it. Yeah, I mean it's one to have under your belt. Like it's we could have read Roderick Ransom instead, but here we are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll do Smollett at some point, but I mean, I kinda like Smollett, turns out. So today we are going to be talking about this book's race and class um project or politics or maybe ideology. We're going to be talking about its homosociality. We're going to be talking about boy parties and divorce, and we're going to be talking about the book and its historical structure. Okay, so here's the summary. This is, without a doubt, the dumbest part of this 90 minutes. So, like, <laughs> if you think, if you fast forward, totally understood. Uh, just they, they get uh, in the car and see some stuff. They yeah. go in a car. <laughs> and uh, you guys. Imagine two guys and then some more guys. Uh, Okay. Part one, Sal paradise isn't happy in New York. So he hitches across the country bound for San Francisco. Along the way, he meets a variety of characters, including cowboys, because of course, cowboys, uh, America. (laughs) Uh, In Denver, he meets up with my personal hero, Carlo Marx for two reasons. He's my hero. Uh, And Dean Moriarty, various others. He climbs a mountain and he says he is on the roof of America because he is, as we've said, a B minus 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 Walt Whitman. (laughs) (laughs) 
Minus, minus, minus. And that's on a curve. <laughs> it's on a curve. So he's bound for San Francisco, but ends up hanging out with his pal, Remy and Remy's wife in Mill City, where they fight all the time and are generally awful. Uh, when he leaves Mill City, he meets a woman called Teresa, called Terry, on the bus bound for LA. He picks her up in one of those scenes that you're like, they don't know what this lady is seeing in him, but fine. They eventually find themselves in Sabinal, hanging out with her family before he, of course, ditches her to return to New York. Uh, for those taking the AP test next year, the major themes of this section are apple pie a la mode and why you should share your cigarettes. Those are important. Yes. Um, and, and apple pie. Yeah. Like he, that's all he seems to consume on this trip. Right. Like he, and he even says he has like, one milkshake. Yes. Right. Exactly. And he's like, I, I liked it because it was delicious. I knew that it was delicious and nutritious. And it's like, th- like, <laughs> this is like, a totally. it's like <laughs> I'm just going to eat sugar to power my way across the country. Sugar so. and whiskey, sugar and whiskey. Yeah. Uh, we all wish we could live that way. Oh Yeah. That's the food pyramid. It has <laughs> <laughs> sugar, whiskey, cigarettes. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, it's split into three parts because pyramid, it's three sides. Yeah. <laughs> it's, per- it's perfect. It's a, it's a perfect setup. Yep. And you would not in any way die at 40 if you lived that way. Yeah. And I also understand how dimensions and shapes work. So I, was, I think he was like 47, you know, <laughs> so- <laughs> I'm sorry. He was 47 when he died of cirrhosis. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Okay, so in part two, Sal and his aunt, who's not Jack Kerouac's aunt, it's his mother. If if uh, There are things about Jack Kerouac's mother that are noteworthy, but we don't have to talk about them today. They go to visit Sal's brother in Virginia, and lo and behold, who should be there but Dean fucking Moriarty. <laughs> so Dean tells Sal all about his wild adventures, getting tail with his two wives all across Mexico, And Sal gets the itch to go on the road again. He says, I had been spending a quiet Christmas in the country, but now the bug was on me again. And the bug's name was Dean Moriarty. And I was off on another spurt around along the road, around the road. I was off on another spurt around the road. Just spurting and spurting, jacking our way off through America. With a bug. (laughs) Bug (laughs) named Dean Moriarty. Mm Mm-hmm. So they go up to Patterson, New Jersey to deliver some furniture to Sal's aunt mom and meet up with Carlo Marx, who is high on poetry. Uh, And then they return to New York and hang out with their New York buddies where Dean asks Sal to do this weird cuckold scene and seduce Mary Lou, who's Dean's first wife. And he sort of initiates, but then it doesn't really go anywhere. Uh, And they then go to Louisiana and meet up with Bo Lee, who is an absolute balls-to-the-wall madman who is based on William S. Burroughs, and if it's anything toned down from what William S. Burroughs was actually like. (laughs) Uh, Listeners almost certainly know the fun fact that he shot his wife in the head during a game of William Tell. A what? Absolutely true. I actually didn't know that, or I had forgotten that, yeah. Uh, Yep, and then later in his life, he went to rehab with his son. A family, oh family bonding. Yeah. 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 If you're looking for a Mother's Day gift, what Father's <laughs> Day gift? Shoot her, shoot her in the head. Uh, yeah. I will also throw in another little uh, thing, which is like, I guess the lesson here is don't go to Harvard. 
<laughs> I mean, a timeless lesson indeed. A timeless lesson yes. indeed. Uh, so eventually they do make it to San Francisco, but Sal takes a, ba- a bus back to New York. The major themes of this section are getting stuck in the mud and wives are terrible, which we all know anyway. I'm, ca- I'm catching that vibe. I am catching that vibe. Fuck <laughs> wives. But you need it on the AP test, so I think I'm just doing this for posterity. Okay, in part three. Sal returns to Denver and is sad because he is not a black person. So he goes to San Francisco to find old dreamy Dean and they drink a lot. And we learn that Dean is the Holy goof all in capital letters. Uh, eventually they go to Denver and have a literal pissing contest, which is the weirdest queer fear part of the book. Which is full <laughs> of queer fear. Uh, they take an offer to drive someone else's 1947 Cadillac to Chicago, which they do and go to Chicago jazz clubs. They eventually return the car, which is naturally just completely destroyed and which is all like a rich person deserves anyway. So this is a moment where I like them. Uh, and then they take a bus to Detroit and the themes of this section are no homo and beer. (laughs) <laughs> how delightful how delightful very how i mean i love her i do too yeah the the the, the gay panic aspects a little, a little less so a probably less. but yeah yeah that one not so much the beer pro pro so fast forward a bit in part four in which sal has some money from selling a book which he's done somehow uh dean is living with a woman inez who is neither of his wives they visit sal's aunt who's his mom and do some playing around and then they split off again because Dean has like four kids that he's taken off from and he should probably do something about that, <laughs> I guess. Uh, Sal takes the bus back to Denver and faffs around drinking until Dean shows up because, of course, party, party, party. This book is boring and I am now bored doing the summary of it. So <laughs> <laughs> I apologize. Uh Anyway, so, like, Dean has this clunky old car, and they go to Mexico with their buddy Stan Shepard. They think everyone in Mexico is cool, and people don't seem to actively hate them. Sal has this musing that the whole world is awesome, and the Earth is, quote, an Indian thing, unquote, which is another very him thing to think. Yeah. Um, Yes, it is. And I'm also not at all convinced that any of the Mexican people they encounter don't deeply hate them, uh, but, you know... Yeah. Not at all convinced. <laughs> yeah. But they don't seem to speak Spanish, so there you go. Yeah. So, so they probably had a good time making fun of them later. Yes. <laughs> and anyone would. Uh, okay, party, party, party in Mexico. Drinking, cute women drinking. Sal loves this sad-ass Dean motherfucker so much. Drive, 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 mountains. Eventually, Dean has to go back to his, his life. And the theme of this section is... Cerveza was the name for beer. <laughs> Which I think is an actual line of the novel. Yes, absolutely. Right? Like, <laughs> direct quotation. Did you know in Mexico they say gracias when they want to say thank you? <laughs> I'm a world traveler. I, I love, I'm like, you know, and they're so drunk. Like, of course, that's the word they pick up, right? Like, mm-hmm, that makes sense. Yep. 
this this uh book was really to me the it's it's the location's wrong but the spirit is right the uh the episode of vanderpump rules where they all go to las vegas for stassi's birthday and then (laughs) uh get so drunk that they take their shirts off in the parking lot and they don't actually fight each other but they act like they're going to by jumping around and removing their tops dude totally they're awesome yeah they're not even as brave as Hemingway boys who at least are going to slap fight each other and cry in the parking lot. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So happily part five is four pages long. Hooray. You're almost at the end. We learn that Dean has brought Mexican divorce papers to his second wife so he can marry Inez. Sal hangs around in Mexico for a bit before returning to New York. Sal meets the girl and he meets her in a very Kerouac way, which is, She's like looking down from a window at him on a street and they're like, Hey, and she's like, Hey, and they're like, let's fuck later. And then they do. Um, <laughs> fucking Dean shows up one last time. Oh, Dean. Yeah. Oh, Dean. Uh, he's going back to San Francisco to be with his first wife. Surprise. What? Because he's a swell guy. Sal's girlfriend, Laura is very sad for him. And Sal sits on a river pier in Jersey and is sad. And the theme of this section is, the father we never found. No, it's Dean. The father we never went to rehab with. <laughs> the father who's very bad. I mean, I just like I should have realized this as I was doing the the summary, but this is like only a neck tattoo would tell me that someone had daddy issues more than this book. Yeah. It would have to say daddy issues. <laughs> yeah. The neck tattoo would have to read daddy issues. That would be the only thing more daddy issues than this book. Yeah. It, like, it, <laughs> it's just, you went through this. I'm just saying, I read it like, I read this. Well, okay. So the prose reads fairly quickly, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's fairly, he's got a fairly lucid writing style. Like, I mean, there's not that much complexity happening level of plot. Um, and yet, and it's not that long. It's like a couple hundred pages, right? It felt so fucking long to read this. I can like, wait, how, like I'm turning, forever. I'm turning pages, but nothing's happening. <laughs> like It truly, it truly. So, so here's this, does anyone want to tell the listeners the secret about this episode? That we had to, that we that we had to, to interrupt the interrupt it. That we're that, drunk as hell right now. That we're wasted face. No, that we did that we yeah. Well, that we rec- we did record. We recorded a bit. A bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Had had some tech issues. Uh. And yeah. But uh. Yeah. So like we're we're doing this a second time for you people. So. Well, no, we only got through the summary. So like, if that part wasn't funny, then it's there. You go. The rest <laughs> yeah. maybe. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but, right. we're into, we're into fresh material now, so yeah, we're into the fresh material. But I will say that that we did have a discussion last time about how this novel feels like priapism and elect or an erection lasting longer than four hours. Yes, 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 it does, <laughs> yeah. and it really, really does. Yeah, it, it does. And that that, that it, it's it's a erection that comes around to feeling painful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah, a, con- a condition that uh, we we all know about thanks to Cialis and Viagra commercials, right? <laughs> then- I thought those were hot tub ads. <laughs> so context-wise, all books, this is true of all books, but there are a number of ways of doing context. So I'm going to give some background on the books, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about the style here and how we might frame it sort of historically and um, conceptually. 
So Jack Kerouac was a French Canadian writer born 1922. Uh, Oh man, that makes him younger than my grandfather. That's bonkers. Uh, And one of the major figures of the beat era or generation or group or whatever you want to call it. Uh, Don't call it a movement because that would be wrong. Um, While studying at a football scholarship, a bowel movement. While on a football scholarship at Columbia University, which he, of course, lost, and then he dropped out, he met, among others, Allen Ginsberg and William S. Burroughs, who are the two major figures of the Beat group, and more on them in a bit. So On the Road was written famously in, like, one good old-fashioned bender on a long roll of paper, like toilet paper, that Kerouac had made by taping pieces of typing paper together. Um, why? <laughs> sure. It was a good, it was, it was a, it was a good thought. Uh, needless to say, like lots of novels, epic poems, dissertations, MA theses have been written in one feverish drag, uh, but not very many of those are good. And this book is, um, you know, it's fine. Although Truman Capote said of it that it's not writing, it's typing which burn. is very him and amazing. That, yeah, that's that's a that's a wicked burn. Wicked burn yeah. Truman. And and like full like very Capote. Um but on the road is doing something weird, which is both why Kerouac had a very hard time finding a publisher for it and why teenage boys and young men have loved it so much. Uh he eventually published it with Viking in 1957, although different versions have since been published. One taking from the original scroll, which I guess we call a scroll and not a roll of toilet paper. <laughs> tomato, tomato. Tomato, tomato. Uh, lots of middle brow lists include On the Road among the best 20th century the best twentieth century novels written in English, which is frankly fucking astonishing to me. Uh, and if you want a little hint, at why I might think that, say, the modern library list is dumb and has made some categorical errors. Here are three novels that aren't on it. Toby <laughs> Morrison's Beloved, Zora Neale Hurston's Their Eyes Were Watching God, and Anne Petrie's The Street. Mm, but of lo- course, all of these people are ignored for totally not racist, sexist reasons, and how dare you? Mm-hmm. Uh, but lots of, like, so what, John Irving on there, maybe, and uh, Dave Eggers. <laughs> I mean, there's stuff on there, like, and there's white guys that they skip, too, but yeah. it's, there's, there's stuff on there that is not good. Listen, if they wanted to be included on the list, they should have called their book a heartbreaking work of staggering genius and it would have been included. <laughs> So that's not on the modern library, okay? No. They should have called it Ulysses. Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> and I love Faulkner, but I think he's on there like four times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I don't, I mean, the thing, the problem though, of course, is to the best of my knowledge, Toni Morrison did not write Beloved drunk as hell. So that is an immediate check against her. Yeah, that's not that's not taking your craft seriously, right? No, like, obviously not. <laughs> yeah, if you don't tape the pieces of paper together for reasons that escape all logic, then what are you even doing? Are you even writing? Uh, uh, yeah. So there are good, there are excellent reasons for this, and not reasons that are bad. 
So while there is a lot of criticism that On the Road is <clears throat> masculinist, navel-gazing, and stylistically deranged, the fandom nearly always mentions its, quote, authenticity or notes that it is, like, really about loss or something else pegged as universal. <sighs> John Leland says that it's a tale of, quote, you passionate friendship and that the search for revelation is timeless. <laughs> and that is so stupid that I died. Uh, yeah. So Kerouac himself seems very committed to this like universalist, but also very individualist vision saying, Dean and I were embarked on a journey through post Whitman America to find that America and to find the inherent goodness in American man. It was really a story about two Catholic buddies roaming around the country with their dicks (laughs) 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 roaming around the country in search of God. And we found him. Uh, Yeah. It's it's like a compass. that's just dicks. Yeah. Yeah. Go West, young man, follow your wiener. Um, (laughs) So the other thing that's like widely recognized about on the road is its explicit commitment to a jazz style or like maybe a jazz aesthetics, which I think is like giving it too much credit. Um, Kerouac talked about this all the time, but he also says some funny things that we really should be paying attention to when he says that he wishes quote, he were a Negro Um, at the beginning of part three. He says, quote, I walked wishing I were a Negro, feeling that the best the white world had offered was not enough ecstasy for me, not enough life, joy, kicks, darkness, music, not enough night. Okay, so he talks about going to the little Harlem on Folsom Street in San Francisco and being in Chicago and visiting other jazz venues. Um, He explicitly makes reference to Charlie Parker and Miles Davis. Um. I don't actually want to make any uh, moral claims about cultural appropriation here. I think that's that's important. Like, my project is not to sort of. Um, I don't think any of our project is to just say like cultural appropriation is bad. Mm-hmm. But um, I think those are pretty flimsy historical analyses. But it's important to place this in a history wherein a lot of left critics are thinking about the hipster and the relationship between hipster cultural production and black aesthetics. Um, which for me is like a historical framing and not just like a, an out of hand rejection of um, cultural appropriation. Does that make sense guys? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It doesn't feel moralistic or anything. No, I don't think so. No. I mean, it's not like, it's not that, and, and also not the claim that there's, that there's not uh, nothing like uh, um, that, that there's not bad politics in cultural appropriation, but just that like cultural appropriation is like as the key lens as how you're thinking about things is a little bit facile and doesn't really, uh, it, it, it just like over, it, it just covers over a lot of like kind of historical particularity and, and, um, just doesn't in some cases tell you that much. Right. And it's like not always bad. I think that's just kind of like a, it's, it, it's an illusion of something more complicated. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's the same thing as like it's the same th- thing as presentism. Yeah, for sure. I think. Yeah. Okay, so returning to the hipster, uh, in 1948, Anatole Boyard writes in Partisan Review an essay called "A Portrait of the Hipster," in which he marks a common thread between the black and white hipster writing 
quote, as he was the illegitimate son of the lost generation, the hipster was really nowhere. And just as amputees often seem to localize their strongest sensation in the missing limb, so the hipster longed from the very beginning to be somewhere. He was like a beetle on its back. His life was a struggle to get straight. But the law of human gravity kept him overthrown because he was always of the minority, opposed in race or feeling to those who owned the machinery of recognition. He continues, the hipster began his inevitable quest for self-definition by sulking in a kind of inchoate delinquency. But this delinquency was merely a negative expression of his needs. And since it led only into the waiting arms of the ubiquitous law, he was finally forced to formalize his resentment and express it symbolically. This was the birth of a philosophy, a philosophy of somewhereness called jive, from jibe, to agree or harmonize. By discharging his would-be aggression symbolically, the hipster harmonized or reconciled himself with society. Yeah, and, and like this is really this is really revelatory for me for uh, revelatory for me for some of the things I want to talk about in terms of like the yeah you know, like had the kind of bad class and racial politics of it because it does I mean like I that's an interesting claim about like the sort of the the the, the position of being outside of like the mainstream culture um, but there's also like a way in which some of this like can feel like well either poverty tourism or just racist tourism in some ways so i and, right. and like I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about that but this is this is helping me i think have more complex thoughts on what that stuff means in this novel i definitely yes i i agree and i definitely do want to get more into the poverty tourism stuff too but there's also like okay so there, there's like there's a way that di totally dismissing this as cultural as cultural appropriation doesn't get at the complexity of what's going on here. But also like, of course it's important to say that, that in the same way, like uh, there's something facile about what Kerouac is saying too. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like it's the yeah. same move that's, that's being done. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I mean, and I find when Brayard says like, he's always of the minority opposed in race or feeling mm -hmm. to those who own the machinery of recognition to be like, that's a wild thing to say because like it is one thing to be racially minoritized and another thing entirely to be minoritized as a matter of feeling. And I think that is a Kerouac, Kerouacian thing is that he feels himself to be minoritized. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And we think we probably think that's dumb <laughs> IRL, <laughs> but it has some like purchase in this novel that I think is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, so sorry. Go ahead, Kitty. Oh no, that's it, just really interesting because it's easier to say because it's easier to say that you feel something than it is to point out material conditions or like do oh, yeah. you know what I mean? Like yeah. like that's the thing because feeling is a stand-in for like it, it's either just entirely ridiculous as a thing to say or it's like you're subbing in feeling for something else that you just refuse to say and you think it's just like equivalent to race for some for some yeah. reason, you know yeah 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 yeah. Yeah. And that's part of his, like, I wish I were a Negro, which is a little bit like, I mean, the the point of that moment is absolutely to erase material conditions, I would suggest. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Like, not just not see them, but to, like, completely cover them up. Yeah. 
Yeah, and well, and it gets to the the. And sorry, I know did you have you have some some more context to to give us, but it it gets to to like where like where I say like part of it like the refusal to just like kind of be interpolated into like the you know the production of capital is uh or like oh you got to go out and get a real job like I mean that that is like that that is like it to me a meaningful rejection of uh you know a really awful and oppressive system, but like at the same time it's like you as like a white dude like saying that. Like you're not, you're not like, you just don't start from the same starting point of like oppression as like someone who doesn't have the choice to like fuck off like this in the, in the same way. So anyway, but yeah, like, yeah, the things that, so like the, all of the unmet needs and desires, some of them come from expectations of being like, you know, like I deserve the world. Yes. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's the, yeah, exactly. Um. Okay. And then the other essay which is i think much more famous uh from this era on the hipster is norman mailer's the white negro which is from descent magazine which like partisan review these are both like huge left magazines in the 50s and he says um he sorry he argues about what the hipster owes to the negro so no wonder that in certain cities in America, in New York, of course, and New Orleans, in Chicago, in San Francisco, in Los Angeles, in such American cities as Paris and Mexico, interesting, uh, DF, this particular, and Mexico, DF, this particular part of a generation was attracted to what the Negro had to offer, uh, the context there is, had to offer in the jazz club, in such places as Greenwich Village, a menage a trois was completed. The bohemian and the juvenile delinquent came face to face with the Negro, and the hipster compl- and the hipster was a fact in American life. If marijuana was the wedding ring, the child was the language of hip, for its argot gave expression to abstract states of feeling which all could share, at least all who were hip. And in this wedding of the white and the black, it was the Negro who brought the cultural dowry. Any Negro who wishes to live must live with danger from his first day, and no experience can ever be casual to him. No Negro can saunter down a street with any real certainty that violence will not visit him on his walk. The cameos of security for the average white, mother and the home, law and the family, are not even a mockery to millions of Negroes. They are impossible. The Negro has the simplest of alternatives— Live a life of constant humility or ever-threatening danger. In such a past where paranoia is as vital as is as vital to survival as blood, the Negro had stayed alive and begun to grow by following the need of his body where he could. Uh, and you know, Mailer is always a little like uh, essentialist about like black people, but I think there's some really interesting stuff there that does speak to material conditions with respect to like what's possible. Um, in the organization of everyday life. Mm-hmm. And Mailer does bring some like appalling arguments to this essay. So I don't really want to like applaud it, but to note that like historically speaking, leftists have been really critical of the beatnik using the quote Negro in order to produce a particular kind of like romantic individualism predicated on what's perceived to be like an avant-garde. Right. So, yeah, so like the, <clears throat> this gets to some of the stuff that I really wanted to talk about from the first volume 
uh, which is so. This is after he's met Terry, who is a, a you know a young a Mexican Mexican American woman, and he's kind of like had this odyssey with her all over the state of California, and they're back up in the to kind of towards Northern California, and they're basically they're out of money. Right. And so he's like, well, what the fuck are we going to do? We can't starve, uh, which I think, you know, means something a little bit different to him with his like, you know, I, working class, the kind of petty bourgeois like existence back on the East Coast mm-hmm. that it does to her. Like, it was, you know, I mean, very much, uh, you know, out of a state of poverty. So he go, he's like, OK, I'm going to pick, you know, I'm going to, you know, do do field labor with the migrants. And we have this passage, which is just uh, all kinds of fucked up, I think. Uh, We bent down and began picking cotton. It was beautiful. Across the field were the tents and beyond them, the sere brown cotton fields that stretched out of sight to the brown Arroyo foothills and then the snow-capped Sierras and the blue morning air. This was so much better than washing dishes on South Main Street, but I knew nothing about picking cotton. (laughs) I spent too much time disengaging the white ball from its crackly bed. The others did it in one flick. Moreover, my fingertips began to bleed. I needed gloves or more experience. There was an old Negro couple in the field with us. They picked cotton with the same God-blessed patience that with their grandfathers had practiced in antebellum Alabama. Give me a fucking break. They moved right (laughs) along their rows, bent and blue, and their bags increased. My back began to ache but it was beautiful and kneeling and hiding in that earth if i felt like uh, i felt like resting i did with my face on the pillow of the uh, brown cool. moist earth and she's like okay so i mean like he a little bit owns himself there where he's like i oh, sure i'm bad at this like but then and then and like there's you know i mean it's and it's not like he like he's not doing quite gone with the wind but he is still like romanticizing like you know that that like oh they just have this like preternatural endurance and it's like yeah or they they were for the, like labor was stolen yeah. stolen from them under like extremely oppressive uh like systems and conditions and and just so, like 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 he's using this as like this way of like reflecting on like what it means to be an america man and it's like we're trying not to die and that's why we're out here working like this you two know? lines later he says i thought i had found my life's work and that's when i'm just like yeah okay yeah motherfucker like re- you're going to do this for four minutes. Yes. And, 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 and like, so, I mean, like Dean, we, uh, we know Dean, uh, or, you know, Neil Cassidy has, has a very proletarian background, like very, I mean, you know, is that like, you know, kind of dad's like skid row type, all of that. Um, and, and like Kerouac's like working class, but like, also I feel like proximate enough to like the petty bourgeoisie that like that, that it, it, it difference in itself matters. Like there's a way in which like, Cassidy in these moments reads slightly less offensive to me than Kerouac slash Sal Paradise, but maybe that's like being too generous to both of them, you know. So, like, like, I, like, I don't think class in and of itself solves the inherent like obliviousness to like material conditions, you know. No, because it no, and and also like just even the I don't know. It's like to to use the word patience is just patently absurd like yeah yeah, you imagine how patient you could be if like your life and and limb were on the line constantly and you had been enslaved like what the like that's not the same to just like just like why in fact were their ancestors so patient i should wonder yeah yeah no exactly exactly um and even with like i mean terry i mean you know i and i don't want to like sort of like deny like agency to 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 characters in this book again they're word objects but like that like but um 
you know, I mean, there, there's, there's something slightly exploited or just, I don't know. Again, like, like his, what, what his relationship with Terry signifies, right? Just because like why they're existing in this way and laboring in this way. Um, and, and even like what they think life is leading to just feels so very different for both of them that like making sense of what their relationship is, um, let alone what, you know, fucking Sal, uh, thinks it is, is just, yeah, it's like, I, I don't fucking know, man. <laughs> I mean, the stakes for each of them seem quite different to me. Um, so another thing that I think is important here is that like, for me, like the racial, I don't know if politics is even the right word of this is about his project of making something like real or authentic, which is like his whole project, which is so whatever it's stupid. But like, I think that that's important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like the earth is an Indian thing, which just is so fucking eye rolly. No, it, it is. And, and like, I mean, again, like this is why I'm so conflicted about the book, because I think the way he makes these points are like, not just, not just offensive and like a fairly, you know, basic way, but just like, so kind of blind to what things actually signify and historical legacies and all of that. But like the impetus, right. To be like, yeah, like fucking like cold war American hegemony sucks. I don't want to do this. Like, I, I, I don't think that the, 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 the sort of lifestyle, style uh, which is a gross word but i you know but, yeah. but th- that is like that is like advanced that, that basically that the entire like sort of cultural like sort of superstructure is trying to like voice is like yes this is the american way i don't think that's admirable i don't want to participate in it right so it's like the impulse i sympathize with but the character's obtuseness to like his own sort of position within that i find really fucked up and then yeah like the way he romanticizes like you know positions that are like produced by white his supremacism uh, you know it is just is is fucked up and like and and fucked up in an important way you know like i i want so here's the thing that this is maybe like too galaxy brained for there's no yeah. such thing as too galaxy brained in the context of talking about this novel <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Excellent, excellent point. So so here's what I wonder. Like, I thought about scenes like this through the lens of my own hobby horse, which is like, okay, so if we think about this, like, like I think you, uh, Tristan, you mentioned the poverty tour stuff, right? I mean, like, so um, I'm thinking about this in, as in, like, the late 18th century tradition of, like, of, uh, like, virtual tour narratives that were often about poor people and that were often for religious people pedagogical purposes yeah this to me is like we get a kind of virtual tour of this like self-referential bullshit like we get like the the constant self-referentiality is giving us like the tour of his mind and nothing Mm -hmm. else and so so to understand it that way is to like be able to do more with it than to than to just take it at, at it's as having any independent value mm-hmm. well and, and megan like this has reminded me of a point that you made to me like when we were talking about like off before the show about like the kind of uh what actually i think your your this is something that your um your your work on ginsburg mentions um if i'm remembering correctly that like you know that that like the idiot the the ideology of the beats and not, not ginsburg who i think you know you say is, is, is you know is very left but is like oh, it's individualism and it's like well one that's a kind of shitty ideological position to begin with but like there's also a version of it which it's like this is 
isn't even an ideology, right? Like this right. is like, but but it like it wants to think that it is, right? Like that that it is yeah. like some kind of political position. But it's like your political position is like whatever, man. Like that's not. No, you know, yeah. Like, <laughs> but it also thinks it's like an aesthetic position, which I find yeah. also to be pretty facile. Like to just like write your tits off is not yeah. like. I mean, I guess that could be an aesthetic project, but I, I just find it like, um, I just find it wanky. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, yes, because no. I am me is not a like <laughs> a, a philosophy, you know? Right. No, and 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 I mentioned the 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 passage that I read was from from book uh, one or part one. Um, I mean, it it get this shit gets like much worse. I think later in the novel, like I think part four, Mexico, particularly when they're in the the brothel with all these like sex workers who are very young. I mean, some seem to actually be underage, and it's like, I mean, they're like fleeting moments of like, wow, I, this is maybe kind of fucked up and exploitative, but they're extremely fleeting. They're mainly like, wow, I'm really horny right now. Like, mm-hmm. and I'm, you know, I hope I'm not so drunk that I, you know, I can't, I can't fuck, you know, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, but. no, see, this is the thing. This is, it's, it's awful. And he really thought it. Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And had no, and like, so, so what I wonder is, is, and because knowing virtually nothing about Kerouac, like my big thing I knew before we did this episode was like, Sal Paradise is like paradise and also pair of dice. Like that was my big bit of knowledge going into the book, going into this. It's, it's like, um, is he, is he doing this to expose himself in a way he understands or is he just accidentally dunking on himself with this? Yeah. Like what, or is that just, I mean, it may be irrelevant, but that's my, that's my real question. I mean, I I think he probably has slightly more self-awareness than would initially be obvious, but I don't think it's like developed self-awareness. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like he's not dunking on himself. I think he is really committed to what, again, I would like strongly suggest is not an ideology, but it's something like he perceives to be an ideology of like the authentic. Mm-hmm. And so if he says dumbass shit, well then, so be it. Right. Well, okay, and and like, yeah, no, I know. I mean, that 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 makes a lot of sense. And actually, this is making me think of like the the formal point that that you made, Megan, about like the the eighteenth uh, century epistolarity of this. And and I'll just, I mean, I'll say like why, like I think that that that's right. That resonates. Um, like, so, so again, for, you know, people who are not, <laughs> who, don't, who don't live in the 18th century, um, and, and maybe, you know, it's not the, the epistolary novel kind of dies in, in the 18th, at the end of the 18th century. It's not like a, a common form. Um, you know, some people pick it up, but, uh, but basically, yeah, I mean, it's like the novel as a series of letters. Um, and it, like one thing like narratively that it purports to do is because every, the characters are expressing themselves like the first person, like I is very prevalent and, but also also because of like the intimacy of it um you know that it, it, it's addressed to another person like you know it's not it's not like uh you know you're not envisioning um this is like addressed like speech to a crowd or something like that um they, what you're getting some, is something like our unvarnished interiority or is like as as close to that as you can get um while still having some kind of social context 
Um, and, and, and like that, so that's the conceit of the epistolary novel, but like, of course, and what people realized, like e- even from the very beginnings of it, like, I mean, this was one of like Fielding's great dunks on, uh, Samuel Richardson and Shamala, uh, like the whole idea of writing to the Shambhala. moment. Sorry. Yeah, I'm we, like still grooving on that. Oh, it's great. No, it, it's yeah. Field, fielding really owns and we should, we should read, uh, maybe we should read Pamela and, uh, and, 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 uh, fielding stunk on Pamela. Um, but, but like that, that we it, just read the fielding. <laughs> that's five or yeah, that's five. Or yeah, I can send you like five pages from Pamela. It's five it's, <laughs> there times you go. hundred. It's the same thing. Um, cool. no, like, uh, but, but like what, what, what people recognize very, again, like very early on fielding, um, being one of them is that like a letter is always performative, uh, just because it's audio, is somewhat narrow uh doesn't mean that you're you are getting anything like the true self beneath it and then when it's a novel form like it's even more so but so i just want to read this very famous quote from uh from samuel johnson's life of pope where he is talking about uh letters and epistolarity um and so this is what this is what sam johnson says um it is it has been so long said as to be commonly believed that the true characters of men may be found in their letters and that he who writes to his friend lays his heart open before him but the truth is that such were simple friendships of the golden age, um, and there, which I had yeah, classical resonance there, and are now the friendships only of children. Very few can boast of hearts which they dare lay open to themselves, and of which, by whatever accident exposed, they do not shun a distinct and continued view. And certainly what we hide from ourselves, we do not show to our friends. There is indeed no transaction which offers stronger uh, temptations to fallacy and sophistication than epistolary intercourse. In the eagerness of conversation, the first emotions of the mind often burst out before they are considered. In the tumult of business, interest and passion have their genuine effect. But a friendly letter is a calm and deliberate performance in the cool of leisure, in the stillness of solitude, and surely no man sits down to deprecate by design his own character. Um, and I'm just thinking of Kerouac with that fucking scroll, like bagging away, like, yeah, man, yeah. I'm telling the truth here. Yeah. And it's like, and then I'm thinking like Samuel Johnson dead, you know, God rest his soul or whatever, just being like, you fucking asshole. Like, <laughs> like th- this, this scroll is the most performative fucking thing you could have done, shithead, you know? So like, anyway. Yeah. I mean, and he's like fairly explicit that this that that uh, he wrote a letter to Neil Casty, who then responded and was like, "This is a book," um, and the beats as a whole are very oriented to like long, very uh, I would say agree that performative letters. It's like a it's a huge part of like the I don't know canon whatever you want to say, the number of pages of beat writing is like well occupied by this huge, like thousands and thousands of pages of letters. But if you think of it that way, it just gives you something to structure this book that again, like feels more novelly to me than Mm -hmm. vomiting on a page. I mean, like it still feels like vomity and unformed, but if you think of it that way and you know how, how like prolific a letter writer he was it gives you just a little bit more um purchase yeah no i mean it, it does help with the structure and and also just like yeah like i mean remind it like that that in addition to the relationship described in these books and and this also is described a little bit right they're all like constantly reading each other's shit they're all like yeah they're all like horse but you know that like yeah that and and that this this is produced within that uh that that does help um 
it seemed less just like word, word vomit. Um, but, but also, yeah, I mean, it's like that he, that like he and Cassidy or, you know, I should stop using the real names cause they're, it, it, we, I think we should probably think of these as characters like Moriarty and, and paradise. Well, yeah. All right. <laughs> I mean, In this, I'm not like arguing that as a general point. I'm just saying here, like the, the line is really yeah. thin. No, I agree. And it's kind of probably like a choose your own adventure situation, right? Like how you want to think of it. But, but like, Oh, they're, they're learning something deep about each other on it. Um, um, but there also there's also this whole other kind of like literary context around this and this this performance that is not just for themselves or for each other, but for this much bigger audience and always probably at least in the back of like Kerouac's mind intended to be that way at some point, you know, like. Oh, I think so. I mean, I think he imagined himself as somebody whose letters would be published. Yeah. And they are, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So turns out, you know, maybe a dumbass, but turned out to be right so okay like he did know that i don't know i think he had a sense that his letters would be published i think you know his letters the letters between ginsburg and Kerak are published i think cassidy's letters are published in one volume but i'm not positive uh and then so i was at Kerak's archive this is years ago and he saved everything. He was just one of those people who was like auto archival to the max. So he saved like scraps of paper and somebody sent him a letter. He saved the envelope. Like he saved everything. And part of that was the way that Ginsburg imagined for me, at least like the production of a community. That's very like he, somebody, John Cullen Holmes called it a boy gang, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, which is like, I don't know, but it's like, it has a, it has a queer content. Yeah, that's non-identical to a boy gay. I don't know. Like, does that yeah. sound right? Yes, it does. No, and and another thing that I, I remember from your uh, from one of the things you wrote, I can't remember was the article over your uh, the the dissertation, um, uh, which is good. And and people says, oh, don't people. read the dissertation. <laughs> so, I mean, if there's an article, then don't read the fucking no, dissertation. I, yeah, I mean, I I certainly would say that yeah, about um, what I published out of my dissertation. Uh, but um, no, is that like, right, Eve, Eve Sedgwick, right, and her argument about, about homosociality famously. Um, and like I, like, I know, I mean, Sedgwick's one of these like amazing critics who like is thinking about like every time period all the time. She's like had a lot of really great 18th century stuff, but she like wrote, you know, like, but um, but Between Men, which kind of starts in the Restoration, right, and goes into the, the 19th century, um, uh, I think is where she, uh, like her famous um, use of, of the term hom- homosociality, which I mean, it is like, yeah, I mean, there there's like, there's sexual desire uh implicit in it uh ba- like one of the things she says happens is that like what is ultimately kind of homosexual or queer desire gets like transferred in like the 18th century novel uh via the presence of um, a female object right like but, but it's like mm-hmm. ultimately the bond is between uh, it did yeah, as the title of that book between men um and but like that the sexual desire gets like get gets gets transferred to the to the woman um but then like so what's left between men the men is like like this very kind of like, yeah, queer relationship, but it is like as social and not sexual. Um, mm-hmm. And like, I think that's happening to this book, but also a lot of the sexual is still, is still very present. Right. Right. Yeah. That's the, I don't know that that's like the uh, interesting thing is like different kinds of desire in this book are just like, they go in all different directions. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's this point, this is this part that I have to read because it's so like, uh, so like there's this, 
they, this guy tries to pick them up and then yeah. Anyway, they're going to like, um, roll him. Mm. Right. And yeah, 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 yeah. The, the, yes, the guy, the guy, right. The guy who's trying to, the guy who's trying to pick them up and yeah. And yeah. And we learn there, like, we know, uh, that he, he says Sal's word is like Dean had been a hustler in his youth. And I think it's perfectly fine for us to take that in like any number of ways, Mm -hmm. like that somebody who turned tricks, but also like somebody who just sort of like hustled in every sense. I think that's like a perfectly legitimate way to take that. Um, Mm -hmm. and then, this is like chapter six, I think it's section four that, uh, they, you know, they're, they pull into this like restaurant off the road and Sal is narrating. And he says like, I was at a urinal blocking Dean's way to the sink. And I stepped out before I was finished and resumed at another urinal and said to Dean, dig this trick. Yes, man. He said, washing his hands at the sink. It's a very good trick, but awful on your kidneys. And because you're getting a little older now, Every time you do this, eventually years of misery in your old age, awful kidney miseries for the days when you sit in parks. It made me mad. Who's old? I'm not much older than you are. I wasn't saying that, man. Uh, I said, you're always making cracks about my age. I'm no old fag like that fag. You don't have to warn me about my kidneys. And it's just this like, wait, what? Like yeah. there, there's all these interchanges about like, check out this trick I can do with my penis. Yeah. Yeah. And then, mm-hmm. and then he's like, don't do that. Cause it's like bad for your kidneys. And then he explodes. Like he just completely has this outsized reaction. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And, and puppetry of the penis is, is probably, it's probably fine for your kidneys. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I guess I never reflected on it, but I'm sure like stopping the flow of urine is not an emergency. Yeah. Um, no, it, it, well, it, it, but it's like, yeah, it's, it's like, what are these things? It's like that, like this, this kind of like, yeah, like, well, sort of like bigger dick contest thing that like you could say that, well, this isn't sexual. I'm just showing how awesome my dick is. It's like, which is sexual, right? Like, I mean, <laughs> yeah. apparently. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I, all he was doing in that scene was stopping peeing. And then yeah, moving to another, to another yeah. urinal. Yeah, it's, yeah. Okay, I thought he was doing something more because I thought there's no way that's a trick. <laughs> yeah, like I thought it's he was like spinning it like a helicopter in between, uh, it, or something. It, it's it's like uncomfortable, you know. But it's like, <laughs> like but, but like the, the, the oh, okay. Well, I'm disappointed now. Yeah, no, it's, it's that, that, not complicated. There's it's nothing. Not, it's more. not a. Tr- it's not a trick, which is what he says it is. That's a no. It, it's not a trick by Eddie Beads. Uh, nor is it even. Yeah, it's not even like a bigger dick contest thing. It's just weird. Um, just having your dick out. Yeah, it's, it's just like, like a, yeah. I can do kegels, you know, like yeah, that's yeah, like, totally. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what it is though? It's like it's like it's like a four year old is like I can make myself stop go wee wee, you know, like it's, like, <laughs> it's not. Yeah, it's okay. Um, but it, right, so there's that. There's that seed uh, of like others. Um, but then, like, even when like uh, the woman is present, like um, that, like it's still like it, uh, Megan. You said there's like this this kind of elaborate or convoluted cuckolding thing that like Dean mm-hmm. has kind of tried to orchestrate. But there's also this seed where they're they're rolling through uh, somewhere in the West. I, I think is in like West Texas. Uh, I think this is part two. Yeah, this is part two. And, uh, and, and like, so it's, it's, it's Sal, Dean and Mary Lou in the car. 
And Dean's like, let's all get naked together and just be in the car. And like, so we were, we were, we were driving West into the sun. It fell in through the windshield. Open your belly as we drive into it. Uh, this is Dean. Mary Lou com- uh, complied unfuddy duddy. So did I, uh, we sat in the front seat, all three, Mary Lou took out cold cream and applied it to us for kicks. Uh, so she's lathering them up uh, every now and then with cold cream. Every now and then, a big truck zoomed by. The driver in high cab caught a glimpse of a golden beauty sitting naked with two naked men. You could see them swerve a moment as they vanished at our rearview window. Uh, great sage playing snowless now rolled on. Soon we were in the orange, uh, orange rocked pa- uh, Pecos Canyon country. Blue distances opened up in the sky. We got out of the car to examine an old Indian ruin. Dean did so stark naked. Mary Lou and I put on our overcoats. We wandered among the old stones, hooting and howling. Certain tourists caught sight of Dean naked in the plane, but they could not believe their eyes and wobbled on. So it's like, I mean, like, yeah, Mary Lou's presence. It's like, oh, like, this is really for like the lady, but it's obviously not. <laughs> it's for sure. You know? <laughs> I mean, it's like. It's, I mean, and I hate to do close reading on Jack Kerouac because it feels like kind of pointless, but that you're halfway through that sentence and you're like that golden beauty. I'm like, he means Dean. Dean. No, exactly. And I mean, I think, and I think we know that because that paragraph ends on Dean being naked and also that he's yep. still, he is the one that's naked. Like Mary Lou and Sal have put on their overcoats and like Dean's the one that tourists are like gawking at uh, probably not like wow how sexy probably more like wh- why is that guy naked right now <laughs> you know? right although he does have this like outsized sexiness for the book yes, yes. like however you want to take that like i don't think they're supposed to be fucking i just think that it's like supposed to, he just has this like um presence of sexiness and that that's like about having their dicks out but it's about this weird cuckolding thing and it's about mm-hmm. how he like has all these wives and is picking up women nonetheless and you know so it's just it's like it's it's like atmospheric sexiness or something yeah no th- yeah i think that's right i think that's right um and yeah no i mean it is the novel is the novel is definitely into dean i mean there's no question i mean he's like he's a oh yeah he's a i mean very much so i mean it's yeah like a kind of like you know J- james dean but katie you, i mean you made that like it, i think they very much goes with this the point about how fucking divorced this novel is like and, that, and i tend to forget that like that that like Sal has been married before, right? Like we watched Dean go through several relationships that collapse. And I think there is something about that too, right? Like that it's, it's not, it's, it's yeah. Like, yeah. Anyway. I mean, I think that that's like, you're going to have to correct me, Katie, because I think you have a deeper point about this, but I think that there's something about like uh, the, the romantic content of the damaged man, right? Like that, that's, it's not, they have to be sort of damaged that for this to operate in the way that it does. I mean, Dean in particular is seen as like very damaged and that that's like a, that's, that's like one of his best qualities, right? Like that he was a hustler and, and like born in the gutter. And I know that this language is very sort of like producing a vision of like class inequality, but this is how the book characterizes him. From the, like from the very, from the first chat, like this is the the first. Yeah. 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 And so, so, but like this scene, actually, this like naked scene to me is the peak, is the peak of divorcedness of the novel because <laughs> it's like, because what it is, is like, it's as if, um, you have like considered yourself paused and you unpause yourself and 
and you be- but like in fact you become a childlike dumbass in thinking that you have like that you're pursuing enlightenment or like ecstasy or joy or something is that you wind up like you wind up like a doing shit like a middle schooler would think is a good and funny yeah. idea. Yeah, right. At like the the like the return of youth in some way to it, right? Like, but but like in the a, irony. Yeah. Oh, sorry. No, 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 that no, no, that no. Like the like yeah, I, I, the irony of that. But but it's like a return to uh, the, yeah, like the return to youth is a kind of like nostalgia um, uh, that also reads like it's a kind of obnoxiousness. I think you know, but I don't think that's the way it's intended. Um, I mean, it's a highly nostalgic novel for me in a way that's like a, it's like a masculinist hopefulness or the sort of like America on the road, like that, that it's really some, it's like a nostalgia for something that's like not only in Kuwait, but like, we know it never existed, but it's also like not even clear what it is. Like, like what if we could do manifest destiny, not racistly, or that's not about like American empire, but about freeing the individual or something like, and yeah, what if it just happened to be racist? What's that? What if Manifest Destiny just happened to be yeah. racist? Right. What if it wasn't on its in its face just racist? But it's also like with your dick out and not in the sort of like, I don't know, custer sense where it's like phallus. Yeah. It's like phallic plus actually your dick out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean and and Neil Cassidy, I think, is characterized. I know again, like we there's a there's a limit to how much you can go outside of the book, although in this case I think it's like completely allowed. But Neil Cassidy is everybody's muse. He's just like he's the he's the loved of all of these other figures. Yeah. And I mean Ginsburg in particular and Kerouac too, but like he's he's outsized as a romantic object. And I think that that it is like homosocial, but I think, of course, but it's Again, it's like rom- it's romantic in a way that, or it, romantic, romanticized, mm-hmm. embedded in the romanticized version of the of you know he says America, we would say the U.S. Uh, and that's what I think. That's why I say nostalgia. Yeah, and and which which in and of itself is like a, a like a romantic or romanticizable, like endlessly romanticizable uh, quality. Um, yeah, and 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 like the the the. Uh, like a rejection of like uh, America, like circa 1950 as this hegemonic force and, and like thinking it's a rejection of like aspects of America's past, but in a way, but like, but what if the idea itself, man, like we could still, we could still reclaim that in some way. Um, And it's like, which I mean, it's, and I get, I like, I, I feel like I'm, we're just like mercilessly talking you know, on this. It's like I, That's I get the impulse. I do get the impulse, but it is also Katie, like your point that like, or like the, both of you guys made the point, like that, like manif- like no, like manifest destiny is not incidentally racist. It is like racist at the core of the structure that it is, like you know. So, but you can take a road trip and whip it out, and it doesn't have to be, you <laughs> yeah. know, like. Yeah. It, it doesn't have to be anything. I think the Catholic shit is important, actually. Oh, I believe. Yeah, I actually agree with that. In in a million different ways. But I think like some of the like filterless dipshittedness is like confessional in a way that's like it's deeply un-Protestant. Mm-hmm. Like the horniness is deeply un-Protestant. Yeah. Um, like it, it is like, uh, you know, um. I guess Puritans are good actually now. Yeah. Cause it's, con- you think it's this sort of like, um, f- 
full stream of consciousness confessionalism? I think that has, I mean, I don't know. I think that has something to do with it, but, but also like, this is not, this is a real, not fully formed thought, but there's something about like the, the ability to actually be washed clean and feel that you are. Mm. That's really important. Mm -hmm. I get that completely. Yeah. And that makes it maybe easier to like emote in these particular ways that happen in this book. Yeah. Well, and is it weird and dumb to connect that with the matter of being divorced? Cause it's like, they want to be sort of cleansed like that, 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 you know, we know you can't get divorced if you're Catholic, whatever, but like that, that's that they're getting away from their divorces. Right. But like, that's also because this book imagines love without women in a creepy way and not in the way of like <laughs> the marriage that, that we know in like, well, like in Moby Dick, it's a marriage that doesn't have women in it between Queequeg and yeah, Ishmael. But is. I don't find that like no girls allowed. Like, I don't think that's what the content of that is. No, no, not at all. I mean, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean like, well, right. I don't think Moby Dick is a book that is bad at like women or the feminine. I do think that this is a book that is, you know, like, and that's totally, like, I mean, he, he makes reference to like Hemingway and I, and I know like, uh, I know Kerouac, but like Hemingway sucked. He wrote in such short sentences. I'm a better writer. And it's like, okay. But like, but there is definitely a very uh, earnest at his like, you know, most misogynistic here. I think, you know. Um, yeah. I mean, again, I think it's like about love without women and I, that's not, I don't, that's, it's about there's a big sexuality without women. Yeah, totally. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. Because it's not again, it's like, I'm not claiming that love without women is like, bad. I'm just saying that this <laughs> yeah. is like explicitly without women in a way that is like, phallic. Right. 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 It's about like preserving the phallus. And that means to excise women because you're di fucking divorced, right? Like, right. It's about the women who used to be in your life. Right. Yeah, and how and but it's also like it, it's yes, I think it's totally right. Like the the connection there certainly, um, and it's like that reproducibility, like that that you can interchange and reproduce. Like you can you can just get a new wife. You can just go on. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. can go to yeah. new state. You can pick up and go. You can get some new kids there too. You can just you can be you can just keep cycling through, and you're still you, and that's all that matters. Right, and you still have your best bro. Exactly, that like gives you some kind of continuity. But also it's just like that whole friendship too is like, it's making a lot of hay about the fact that like people like to look at people they find hot and, and interesting, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah. Like mm -hmm. it, it's it's elevating it into a, into like, <laughs> like a high, you know, into high art. And I mean that in the pun way, not in the high as in, elevation mm -hmm. well and it's it too is like and again i know we got to wrap up but it's a way there's a there's a variable here where it's like because it's out of space and out of time mm -hmm. so it's way of of considering space is like i get pissed at this book because they go to san francisco and i'm like but where's san francisco yeah 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 <laughs> yeah no. you know i want 1950 50 san francisco like i would love to see that but you don't see it because yeah. that's the point yeah you only see you see mountains like vaguely rendered yeah. but you don't see any given place because this has to be out of place for it to be like love without women because that's about rootedness for this book mm -hmm. 
Okay. Um, Katie, do you have a fun game? Do Nobody's got to get their wiener out, do they? <laughs> Everyone has to get their wiener out. Oh, man. Okay. Um, no. We, there's no, no wieners. You know, there may actually be no wieners in this, really. Wow. Um, that's, a, that's a better Red the Dead first. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. No, I think it is actually a better red than dead first. There's no wieners in the fight. It's because we have a game for you today. It's called On the Toad. <laughs> on the, it's called On the okay. Toad. And um it's because uh it's about it's about frogs and toads, folks. Um it has nothing to do with the book, but I just couldn't uh I couldn't do a whip it out room room car adventure. Uh, your other choice was going to be about the race car driver from The Bachelor. So um, <laughs> I, oh, right, yeah. So I think uh, I think on the toad um, might be the way to go. So basically, what we're going to do today is just kind of figure out whether you're a fro- frog or a toad. Awesome. Okay, cool. Um, okay, and we're um, doing a little psychedelics here for our <laughs> adventures with the people. Licking, lick, some, lick some toads. <laughs> yeah, we just we're gonna lick some toads here. Okay, and so basically, um, I want to start this by saying uh, there's actually absolutely no real distinction between frogs and toads. I learned um, they're actually yeah, just the some were like dry land and some were fishy were water babies. I, I don't know what it means that there's no scientific distinction between the Megan. I assume it means I assume it means they could fuck if they wanted. Oh, yeah. okay. Uh, but I don't know that to be. I don't think that's true. I made that up. I don't. We're not a science podcast. Anything. It's fine. <laughs> I'm sticking <laughs> to my guns though that some are like land animals and some are water animals. You yes, they tend to they they te- they tend to, and also um some of them if you touch them are dry and some are slimy. Um, I said I wasn't going to say anything about wieners, so I'm just not going to say anything um <laughs> at all right now. Do they have two? Are they like snakes? <laughs> they're they're big time. They got two. Um, no, they don't have two wieners. But um, are you ready to find out whether you're a frog? Let's or do it. Oh yeah. Yeah, and you're you're right. You're right that frogs are are the ones that live near the water. Okay, let's um, let's do it. Am I frog or toad? Okay, are you frog or toad? Um, question number one: Do you have teeth or not? Yes. Do you- teeth? Yeah, I have teeth. Great, you have teeth. That's fantastic. I'm so proud of you. Um. Okay. <laughs> they were the product, however, of three different pairs of braces. <laughs> there you go. So you definitely have teeth. Um, would you say that you are more <laughs> in a comparative in a comparative sense? Are you more are you consider yourself longer or shorter? <laughs> uh shorter. Girl, we have met. <laughs> longer or shorter. Uh, just spiritually do you feel longer or shorter spiritually shorter still oh okay I feel longer uh, <laughs> average I oh I didn't even realize I was really talking about frogs and toads I know but I was I'm thinking well I don't know what the fuck does that mean I'm, I'm like I, obviously this is gonna sound like a fucking dick joke but I'm like I'm not, I'm not tall I, I, and I'm not short so you know <laughs> So what we've learned is that Tristan is an iguana. <laughs> That's right. I'm an iguana. Yeah. 
<laughs> short, uh, short. I'll, I'll, I'll agree with you guys. I because gender. I yeah. I don't. I don't want them. Yeah, short. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Thank you so much. Um, if a group of you <laughs> were to congregate, would you call yourself a knot? K-N-O-T, or something else. A murder. Oh, yeah, that's the, the murder of crows. Uh, there are a lot of, yeah. Um, they were all made up by one guy, P.S. Were they? Are you serious? Yeah. Yes. yeah. Cool. Uh, Linnaeus or something? I don't know. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Uh, nah. I'm just doing facts today, guys. 85% of them are wrong. No, <laughs> not, not I, I, I feel like there's cooler words. I mean, murder being the best of them, but I, yeah, not, I, I don't, I'll, I'll think there's something better than not. It's a shindig. You're a shindig of Tristan's. Yeah, a shindig. Oh, Megan. A jam. <laughs> <laughs> it's a jam sesh of Tristan's. A uh, shindig. It. Megan, you should name groups of animals. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I you know. <clears throat> a Star Trek now convention. I'm-, <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> I'm, a, I'm a Trekkie con of Tristan's. <laughs> A con of Tristan's is actually pretty good. Yeah, actually, con. Oh, that, that would be awesome, a good one. But yeah. Okay, let me ask you. I'm going to ask you a personal question. Um, would you consider your skin to be slimier or uh, drier, uh, wart covered, and more leathery? How do you? How are you to the touch? Um. I know we've been over this, but with the uh, the 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 obsessive hand washing that we all have to be doing now with the uh, pandemic, uh, my hands are like bleeding <laughs> all the time now because they're oh. so dried out. Like I can't. I, I've I've always been terrible with like moisturizers. I've been trying to be good with it, but I can't keep up with it. So I definitely dry and naughty right now. <laughs> like I am slimy because of baby transference. Mm. Yeah. Because oh. babies are so just they're just like a slimy group of people. And so like I got my hair pulled and my clothes messed with by like a slimy person. So it's like the transfer of slime. Yeah. The transitive property. They, they do transfer a lot. No, that, that's true. And even now, I mean, Henry is uh, it's a little he's a little older, but they they still there's a. There's an aura <laughs> that comes with. <laughs> there's a miasma. Yeah. There's a there's a there's a a cowl of slime. Yeah. Yes, it's like that thing that would happen when the in the mesmerism days. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The release of mysterious fluid. Um. Okay. So ectoplasm. Picture, ectoplasm. That's it. Okay. So imagine that you are incredibly stressed the fuck out. There's something bananas happening on your block there's a, a small fire in a dumpster a mm. child is yelling too loud uh, something happens that really freaks your shit you feel very stressed out and you might even feel threatened and while this is going on you put your hand to the back of your head and you notice oh, i have two glands here mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what's happening to those glands for you in this moment what are they secreting uh venom yeah um glitter oh i love it (laughs) like to glitter bomb them cute oh i'm into this okay here is your final question if you were shrunk down to your smallest size how small would that be imagine the tiniest version of yourself you can oh red blood cell oh that's tiny uh, I 
like the I'm I'm thinking like a Miss Frizzle deal. Like that's where my brain went. I love this. I watched uh I've watched Ant-Man, which is unusual for me because I tend to hate superhero films. I actually like Ant-Man. Uh and uh, also a movie made in the last 400 years. Yeah, I've yeah, I've I I see stuff. Um <laughs> <laughs> and uh they they do this is where they go to uh, uh paul rudd goes down to the, the the subatomic level uh the quantum level uh and then you can just keep going and going and going so i i think i like i don't know like a like a, a quark uh oh, <laughs> a quark yeah, yeah. wow i'm a, a fucking building block of nature or something you, a <laughs> fucking quark my my smaller my than an electron yeah fuck electrons <laughs> i don't i don't fuck with that shit you know? too big <laughs> <laughs> yeah. all right i have a bonus um jelly bean in a jar uh um question which is how how many lay- eggs do you think you could lay at one time just if you were just sitting down to lay some eggs six I mean, six eggs just go to the opposite of that I said that I was a quark. One giant one, like brontosaurus. <laughs> Do brontosaurus lay eggs? We don't ask. Yeah. 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 Apatosaurus. Yeah. Holy fucking shit. Okay. The reason why I did on the toad, <laughs> candidly, is because I wanted Megan. Megan, you said the summary was going to be the stupidest part, and I wanted to give a suitable challenge. So oh. on the toad was born. Okay. Um, but but I- here's the thing. Tristan, you are perfectly a toad, and Megan, you are perfectly a frog. Yes. Okay. I'm not mad. Yeah, yeah they're I, both cool as fuck. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, like also the you guys know the the cane toad, which it's the it's a it's a southern U.S. Uh, animal, but it got taken to Australia where it has no natural predators, and so it's just it, this giant fucking poisonous toad is like running amok all over. It's like Australia, they got they got fucking kangaroos. And like koala <laughs> and like platypus. What the fuck is a platypus? It's got a poisonous spike on its back leg. It's a duck that's a fucking mammal. It's like they got enough problems without our bullshit uh, poisonous toads. And but that would be rad to be a cane toad in Australia. So, yeah. Okay. No, I want to <laughs> so be a many. bright red poison arrow frog. Well, yeah. L- you, listen, you're both badass in different ways. Um, if you want to hear anything more interesting about frogs and toads, um, on the outro, I'm just going to record some facts about them. Okay. <laughs> are you a frog or a toad? <laughs> are you, are you, what, what are you as the tiebreaker? Oh no. I just wanted to ask because, um, so the, the frog or toad, uh, it wasn't a real tiebreaker. Um, it was just because I forgot that this question existed. So I <laughs> called it a tiebreaker. Um, the, the, the question was, so frogs can lay 4,000 eggs at a time. And so whoever laid more eggs was the frog. Even though it was six. Yeah. But it's closer to 4,000 than Got one it. giant one. Okay. All right. Okay. Interesting. Cool. I like the concept too, that the, 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 the summary was very dumb. So like, <laughs> let's say let's that challenge sure. laid down. Right. So, and it wasn't the, it's to be clear, it's, Megan, you did an no, no, excellent no. job. He was the material. Yeah. Yeah, this yeah, was no, just no. me being a dumbass. I actually <laughs> took it as like, no, that was actually not my problem. I mean, it probably went up too long, <laughs> yes. but I didn't write no, that the, fucking book. The summary, yeah. the summary was was masterful with the material that you were given by the late Jack Kerouac. Yes, Very and this late. this I tried to live up to his his stupidity, um, and yet um, somehow. 
you know, we all fall short. Of we all fall long. Yep. <laughs> okay. This has been Better Red Than Dead. You can find Tristan on Twitter at TJ Schweiger. You can find Katie on Twitter at Katie Crywo. You can find me on Twitter at Tussersaurus. You can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at Better Red Pod and email us at betterredpodcast at gmail.com. As long as it's to tell us if this book deserves to be on the dumb modern library list instead of fucking beloved. No. (laughs) I'm going to be mad about that for weeks. Um, Our intro music is Love Bronstein by the Redskins and used with their permission. Our logo was created by Jane Bonsack of JB Design and Content. Please rate, review, and subscribe. We soon will be talking about Octavia Butler's Parable of the Sower, and we have Chinua Achebe's Things Fall Apart. Thanks, comrades. I've every road in this here land. I've been everywhere, man. I've been everywhere, man. Across the deserts, bare man. I breathe the mountain air, man. I travel, I've had my share, man. I've been everywhere. I've been to Reno, Chicago, Fargo, Minnesota, Buffalo, Toronto, Winslow, Sarasota, Wichita, Tulsa, Ottawa, Oklahoma, Tampa, Panama, Mattawa, La Paloma, Bangor, Baltimore, Salvador, Amarillo, Tocopilla, Baron, Quilla, and Padilla, I'm a killer. I've been-